This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. A little bit of a special podcast, sort of piggybacking off a great article InsideCarolina.com had earlier in the week. Carolina's 64 greatest NCAA tournament games. And so what do we do when we have an article like that? We get the author on the podcast. And many of you listening to this podcast have been with Inside Carolina for a long, long time. And so you know that means Thad Williamson is joining the show. Thad, how you doing? I'm good. How are you, Tommy? I'm doing well. We were talking a little bit offline, sort of lamenting the day we're in with all the the outside world creeping into the sports world and taking away all our outlets on the sports side of things and when I found out I was going to talk to you or when I thought about starting to talk to you I said let me go grab his old book and again our listeners will know that more than the game more than the game is Thad's book that he wrote I believe it was published back in 2001 and and Thad the irony of that is the note you wrote me in that book to Tommy Best wishes, and I hope this tides you over until better times, Thad. And I laughed because it could not have been more appropriate then. And everybody knows what went on with Carolina basketball for a short spell there and now. Just give me your thoughts on, A, the book and how you think that book's held up over the years and just sort of looking forward in Carolina basketball. Well, well, thank you for even uh, remembering the book. I and mean, it has been almost uh, you know, 20 years now. And it was something that, that I did as a labor of love because Carolina basketball was important to me my whole life since I was a little kid, even though um, you know, I wasn't a player on the team or, or, or much of a player at all, really. But just somebody who loved uh, the, the game, the team, and hadn't got the chance to go to a lot of games as a kid because I grew up in Chapel Hill. I was able to work um, at Carmichael and at the Smith Center uh, operating the manual scoreboard for a few years. So I got to see Michael Jordan and Perkins and those guys play up close as well as a lot of great uh, opponents. Um, and, you know, I think that was a period of transition for Carolina basketball with Dean Smith retiring, Bill Guthridge retiring, and everybody sort of saying, hang on now, are we going to be like UCLA or are we going to sort of uh, – keep the Carolina tradition going. And obviously it, it was a difficult few years, uh, but we got through it, you know, as a program, as a university, you know, and uh, we've had a really uh, amazing last 17 or 18 years, uh, despite what happened, you know, you know this past season. And I'll, I'll say this, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I watch every game this season. Actually, I really like this team. I, I liked how they played and how they held it 
together despite how frustrating uh, it was. So I didn't even give up on the season until halftime against Syracuse. I was in the Greensboro Coliseum. At that point, I gave up halftime. I got myself some chicken tenders and french fries and said, let me just enjoy the atmosphere because this might be the last chance to go to a sports game of any kind for a long time. <laughs> and it turns out that might be right, unfortunately. So um, so that's why I really want motivated me to think about this article was to say, I know everybody's kind of a downer right now. Let's think about some good times. It's interesting whenever you start making lists and, and you've seen how folks, whether it's ESPN or people on message boards or whatever, everybody's making a list, best of this, best of that. And certainly I'm sure given how long we might be in this state of no new sports um, inside Carolina and me and hopefully you and other people will make some more lists of best players and, and tackling, you know, most memorable moments, all that type thing. But when I saw your article come up on the 64 tournament games, you know, I I look at it and there's a few quibbles here and there, but I'll certainly, and we can certainly talk about them, but the thing that gets to me, and I'm not saying this just to, you know, blow smoke up your rear end, but I'm serious. The, the, you are a virtual almanac of Carolina basketball and to be able to pull together an article fairly quickly to talk about how it came about, how you decided um, which games to include and then how to rank them. And we'll talk more about the rankings as we get into it. Yeah. Well, like I, I was sharing uh, offline, you know, uh, over this past weekend, you know, uh, my, my brother and another close friend of mine, you know, from childhood, we have a, you know, a sort of ongoing text thread. And, um, you know, it was mentioned that some old games were, were, were being played, you know, and uh, I just started thinking it would be cool to make a list of uh, uh, past games. And actually, I had made a previous list just for myself because, like I mentioned, uh, um, I was at the ACC tournament, um, you know, when, when the season ended. and just for my own personal remembering things, I made a list of all the postseason games I've ever been to of any kind, you know, NCAA, ACC, and in fact, one NIT game, um, you know, since I was a kid. And so that got my sort of memories going. And then, then it became, you know, I thought 64 was a good number because that's really like the traditional number for the number of NCAA tournament teams. And then it was a given you're going to count the, the national championship games and 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 the semifinals and then i decided to include all the regional finals uh as well um and then uh as i mentioned in the article the, the tough thing was to put 1957 first or 1982 first you know and my friends basically convinced me 1982 should go first so i went with that and then beyond that you know obviously we all have our own individual experiences you know as fans or followers or, or journalists covering uh the team and and you all have a, a you know their own individual memory set so obviously if i was willing to be honest you know those games that happened to have attended or that had some other thing going on about it that was really important to me at the time you those stick out to you more you know and so that, there's probably some bias in my list compared to what someone else would come up with but that was why i wrote it just to get people talking and provoking i mean uh i'm not tied to anything on the on the list really um uh so yeah it was uh, i know conversations about sports with part of what make it fun let me uh let me go straight to number 64 to start off and i and i do that because um there's going to be a relevant podcast later in, 
maybe not this weekend, but first part of the week where perhaps a couple players on that North Carolina team um, join one of our Inside Carolina podcast hosts for a discussion about basketball and everything else in some sort of bracket form. Don't want to tease it too much, but I want folks to be on the lookout for it. But that's the probably the game is for the well for the younger people. That game is probably the toughest one uh, to stomach after Marcus Page's shot, and then of course Chris Jenkins' shot. And it's still too soon for a lot of people. But why include that one? Well, that's a, a great question. And uh, again, this is one where my personal experience maybe colors it. Um, and so, you know, in 2005 and in 2009, um, you know, I, I uh, watched the final game, you know, in, in, the, in the Dean Dome and, you know, and actually with, with our friend JB on those occasions. So I, I figured in 2016 would do that again. So I was in the Dean Dome watching the game and uh i happened to see um from my old high school teachers tony yont who was a, a, a you know a school basketball coach in chapel hill was one of ranzino smith's coaches uh during his career you know and i and he he, he said hey Thad, what's up and I, and I said you know how do you feel about the game he says me tough and i said yeah we gotta watch out for jenkins he's good i literally said that at about 8 30 in the evening but the reason I put it on the list was a couple of things. One is I think that that was a great team. I actually think it was a better team than the 2017 team. They played much better in the tournament than the 2017 team did overall. Maybe they didn't have their best game against Villanova, but uh, uh, but, but they played a really good game to get that point. But, but even more so, and this gets to the theme of my book, is you know my book, The More Than a Game Book, is really about unconditional love for a team and how that should translate into sort of unconditional love for the players, you know, in particular, you know, and, and respect. And, you know, when Paige the shot, it was like an out-of-body experience to be there. He was actually sitting next to some students. Um, but then when Jenkins hit his shot, you know, and, and also as soon as he let this hand, I said, that's good. It was going in. It, it was everything about it looked perfect. And, you know, the people around me, the students, they were sad, but they weren't angry. And they really you could feel they were mostly sad for Marcus. And everybody walked out there very quietly. And so that experience of sort of grief, but the right kind of grief, really moved me. So to me, that is one of my great personal experiences at Carolina basketball, as well as being a great game. And I think it's also, hey, you know what? Um, it can be a great game without necessarily being a win. So I kind of wanted to make that point, too. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you know, we can talk about the nuts and bolts of the game and get into all that, but at some point, you just have to tip your hat. And I thought it was pretty cool you put that one in there. Um, certainly, Marcus Page's shot of live is one of those shots ever in North Carolina basketball, even though they lost, like you said, because Chris Jenkins just got him one better, and it happens. Certainly shaped the following year. Let me take a short break, talk about johnnytshirt.com. They're our great sponsors of this podcast. And folks, they are still doing business. I know a lot of small businesses are suffering this time uh, with everything that's going on with the pandemic and the shutdowns and all. But johnnytshirt.com can still fulfill the needs you have for Carolina gear. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street's always there and will be there forever. But johnnytshirt.com, certainly the place to go to get your Carolina gear. 
now. And if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, you get 10% off your order and it's worth it. And they're having a big sale. They've been having a big sale on some winter wear sweatshirts. So check them out. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, johnnytshirt.com. Uh, that I know that you've done your fair share of shopping there. I know I have. So we need to support yep. <laughs> small yeah, support small businesses. They've been great for Inside Carolina. They're great to, for Inside Carolina subscribers. Thad, let's talk about it. 82 versus 57. Just give me why you put 82 over 57. I And I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm old, but I'm not 57 old. So I don't certainly want to round for that game. Uh, but one sort of thing from that game kind of takes me back a little bit back when they honored that team in the Smith center. And of course they also honored Jordan, uh, the 82 team, but I think it was Pete Brennan spoke to the media and talked about um, some free throws he made in the final four. And as he was about to shoot free throws to tie a game, he said one of the players came up and said 31 or 30 and one before he shot those free throws to send that game to overtime that him discussing that game and hearing the guys from that area era discuss that game sort of elevates it some more to me and it was also uh, the team that my dad always talked about so like like you have the personal thing that was kind of that sort of makes it number one for me but how did you rank the championships? Just let's look at them as a whole because it's tough. I mean, you win a national championship, they're all could be 1A and 1B and 1C. How'd you get them where you had them? Yeah, and again, I think it it is it is very tough. And I will say this about 1957. Yeah, initially I was going to put it first, but my friends persuaded me that, that 82 really should be be first but, but i think it's absolutely true that you know carolina basketball as we know it isn't the same thing without the 1957 team you know for all kinds of of, of different reasons you know and obviously you know that there are only uh well undefeated you know national ncaa tournament winning team and probably the only one we'll ever have um and then you think about the way they won those those last two games you know both in triple overtime you know that's that's incredible uh in itself, including that, that the shot Brendan hit to, to tie it up uh, in the semifinals and then winning the game literally on two free throws and triple overtime against Will, Will Chamberlain. So but I, I'll say this is, is the case for 1982 is uh, that as a game, I think the game they played, if you look back at the video, the game they played in 1982 was at a level of skill and athleticism that matches anything that happens in college today, I would say exceeds it because you had a lot of, you know, three and four year players out there who today, you know, likely would, would be a, a league player. They were out there still honing their craft at the college level, you know, like, like James Worthy and, and Sleepy Floyd. So the sheer amount of talent, but also, the, you know, the, the maturity and skill. And then the fact, you know, both teams shot over 50% in that game. It was a clean game. Um, it was back and forth. It was incredibly uh, uh exciting and i, I think uh, without any disrespect to 1957 i do think it's a higher level of skill and athleticism you know 25 years later you know as, as the game the sport uh has, has evolved you know and you know i think you take that 1982 that, that first five 
you know, against any team in college basketball today, and I would take them, you know. And with no disrespect to 57, but I don't think that you can say that. Now, I will say this about 57 is, you know, people need to understand how good Will Chamberlain was. I mean, because it's the same man. Those guys figured out a way to slow down just enough to win the game. That's the same man is you know the MVP of the NBA Finals 15 years later in a totally different era of basketball in 1972 with the Lakers. So I'm not saying those guys weren't athletic or, or, or couldn't play or couldn't run. And you look at the video, you can see you know, they, they're playing a fast-paced game. Uh, but I do think it's just a different level 25 years later on. You know, you know, with you think about you know, you know, Jordan and Worthy and, and Perkins and the overall pace of that game. And plus, there's another element which some way makes it puts it ahead of the, some of the later games. Is, as I think in '82, you know, you didn't have the shot clock, and there was more strategy involved. And you would see teams routinely pass the ball around for 60 seconds to get that perfect shot if they felt like what that's what you know needed to happen. And so you kind of had the, like the blend of of the best of both worlds of like a really exciting athletic game, but also one that that was really strategy oriented. So to, to me, I mean, that was the game. And uh, obviously I was 12 years old at the time. I remember celebrating on Franklin Street afterwards. My brother, uh, he wouldn't watch the game with anyone else. But when Fred Brown threw the ball to James Worthy, I heard this loud yelling from upstairs. So, um, yeah, there's much of this, this personal about that as well. But, yeah, I, I really, um, you know, anyone who's a partisan of 1957, I'm not going to uh, argue with you too hard because they have a good case as well. Let's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, 1982, that roster, uh, it's got to be, especially given what happened later in life, that's got to be the best um, top five roster in basketball history, college basketball history, given what was on there. Let me ask you this question. Let's take 57 and 82 out of it. Rank, yeah. rank the others in, and I'm not saying best game. Um, but best team out of the other national championships, in your opinion? I mean, I, I think the 2009 was the best team um, just because, you know, they dominated. And honestly, they had been dominant the year before. It, it just had that, that bad game against Kansas to kind of, uh, you know, color people's memories. Um, but the level Ty Lawson was playing at the second half of his senior year was incredible. You had Hansborough, who played at a high level for all four years, you know, and then you had you had Ellington, you had Danny Green, you had you had Bobby Fraser, who had you know a lot of injuries in his career that maybe slowed him down a little bit in terms of what he fully was capable of doing, but but he was great in the NCAA tournament, you know, his senior year. You had, you had uh, Ed Davis in there making some good plays off the bench. You had, you had Thompson, so it was just a quality team. Um, and you know, I mean, they, uh, I had to censor myself there, what I was about to say, but you know, they, they beat the snot out of Michigan state in that game and Michigan state was a good team. So, you know, I think that was the most satisfying. Um, so I, I put them ahead, but clearly ahead of probably 1993 as being like the next best. Yeah. 93, my, my senior year at Carolina knew a fair amount of those guys. i watched that game just the other day. Um, on YouTube, catching up with that and be doing a lot of that over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, where do you put the 17 
championship as far as you mentioned satisfying for the 09 team. 17, you know, everybody wants to call it redemption or whatever. Where's that rank? Well, I mean, I, I ranked it six, but it is still, <laughs> that's still really, really high, you know, because um, you have to think about just we talked about 57, 82, you know, 93 was great because those guys, uh, a lot of them had reached the final four a couple years earlier and maybe not played their best game against Roy Williams in Kansas and had lost. And that was disappointing because we would have played Duke in the final and, and uh, or just, sorry, we would have played UNLV in the final and might have lost that game. But, 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 but it was no fun to have us lose on the same night that Duke won in, in the final four. Um, you know, um, no, we would have played Duke that year. My bad. Yeah. Yeah, 91. Yeah, and I think we were beating them, um, you know, because we just beat them in the ACC tournament. So uh, let me ask so, you this. Do you ever want to see that happen? <laughs> um, yeah, I think mean, Coach Key had that remark, you know, some time ago that, like, it would be too painful event. You know, like the, the loser wouldn't be able to deal with it. It would it'd mean too much. And so he was kind of hoping personally it didn't happen. Uh, you know, if both programs stay at the same level in their 10 or 20 years, it's inevitable. It will happen, you know, so I'm, I'm not opposed for it to happen. Let's put it that way, you know, um, but you know, it's going to be a tough one for the loser of that game to swallow. That, that, that's for sure. So I, I, and I would say this, I would, whether well, it would be a scenario where either we were like an eight seed and we somehow got the championship game. And so we, loss we would still be proud of them i would have it you know i very much have that be the scenario that when we were their favored to, to, to beat them and, and, and lost anyway you know you know but but back to the other 93 i thought that um you know there was an element of redemption for that team but they just played they were just a beautiful team and, and like i said in the piece so you know they had a couple of guys had decent nba careers like, like lynch and montrose but wasn't anybody who was an nba all-star or anywhere close to it you know to be honest and then you go against a michigan team and they were awesome you know, and, you know, we had to really play a level above our normal to win that game. And that's what we got because Don Williams was on fire. You know, it just couldn't be stopped. You know, and I remember when the, just still being in awe, even watching the game of a couple of shots he hit in transition, you know, in, in the flow of that game. So that was just a beautifully played game that we were we, we were a great team, but we even took it up a level, you know, in, in the final to really play our best game of the year. So I think that's special. And then, then 05, which we haven't talked about yet, you know, maybe we'll talk about more detail if you want to. I mean, the, obviously those are the guys who are going 8-20. And, and for them to turn it all the way around, that was unbelievable as well. So it's only in that context I would put 17, <laughs> sixth place, you know. But obviously, yeah, I was incredibly happy for uh, the players, you know, and incredibly, incredibly happy for the fans to just turn around, put the Villanova game behind, you know, and play a game with Gonzaga that was, you know, frankly, a pretty ugly game, but they got it done, executed it in the last two minutes to win it. Yeah, it uh, speaks to the level of Carolina basketball when that game ranks sixth, and it's fairly ranked sixth, and even the 9 game ranks fifth. I mean, it's just crazy Carolina basketball history. Going to take another short break, come back. Last Thad, some superlatives. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. I got Thad Williamson. We'll be right back. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen okay thad uh, let's do this we, we're not gonna go game by game <laughs> but uh because i don't want people to listen to the podcast and not read the article and definitely not check out all the links so go to insidecarolina.com check out this article there's video links where they apply uh greatest shot in carolina history tournament oh man i, I can go with luke may you know, you think? that, and to be specific, his shot against Kentucky <laughs> in 2017, in case people were wondering which one I was talking about. But you know, it doesn't get any bigger than to win the, uh, um, it, you know, to, to go to the final four on a, on a buzzer being shot. And, and, and yeah, I wasn't around for Charlie Scott's shot against Davidson, and and which was a similar scenario. But but the only thing. Uh, and that was in 1969. Um, but the only thing I would say is, it, it is obviously the rivalry between Carolina and Kentucky. And I'm part of me is still upset that we didn't beat them in 2011 uh, with with Zeller and Kendall Marshall and, and those guys because we had a really good chance that year. Might have won the whole thing if we could have gotten past them. Um, so it's a little extra special to do against Kentucky. But also, you know, you know, we had that game in hand. Tar Heels did, and you know made a couple of mistakes and Kentucky did a couple of great shots right at the end to tie it up. But uh, nobody remembers any of that stuff because Luke hit the shot and Theo Pinson gets huge credit because he pushed the ball ahead. Uh, and he, he, and I put down the article too. I mean, he made a great pass in the championship game. Also Justin Jackson, you know, which speaks to the value of, you know, that the Pinson brought to, to Carolina. Yeah. I think Theo Pinson certainly got a lot of press and a lot of ink while he was at Carolina. I still think he's undervalued as a, Carolina player, um, especially in winning time in that championship season. Uh, best performance in the tournament by a single player. And let's limit it to, we'll say, I'll, I'll leave it at 80 to the present. We'll say our our lifetimes where we can remember. Yeah, I mean, I got to go to Al Wood, you know, in, in the semifinal against Virginia in 1981. I was a kid. I, I still remember that. Clearly, because we, we had played Virginia twice that year. Yeah, and they, they had Ralph Sampson, who was in his sophomore year. And we had had a lead on them in Charlottesville the first game and, and, and lost it, a close one. And then we played an epic game against them uh, in Chapel Hill and Carmichael that, uh, that, that Virginia won. And uh, by, by one point, Jimmy Black had missed a shot at the buzzer to win it in regulation. You know, I, mean, I think uh, Matt Dory and Otho Wilson got a, a scrap right at the end of the game. So these are two teams that were really, really um, 
didn't like one another. You know, they're, they're really the, the main rival. You know, Duke was down at that time. You know, NC State wasn't quite on top of it at the moment. So Virginia was a team for that, you know, th- that three-year period, I'd say between 81 83, that was the main rival. And it really stung that they had, uh, had won those two games in the regular season. And so for Wood to go into Philadelphia and just put on this show, you know, hitting, uh, I think, 14 field goals on 19 shots, you know, 39 points overall, you know, and Carolina just was on a different level that day. So I don't think anyone was expecting like a double digit decisive victory, but because of Wood's performance, uh, that's what happened. Yeah. Another guy that's not um, totally appreciated enough. I don't think in Carolina history, uh, best. I started to think about this question when you were talking about Ty Lawson, um, best Carolina point guard ever, ever. Uh, (laughs) Because we're going we're gonna to do these sort of little vignette podcasts as we get deeper into the, the summer and the spring and summer months. But I definitely wanted to ask you that question when I heard you talking about Lawson, because I know who's my favorite Carolina point guard ever. Who you think is the best Carolina point guard ever? And we can include Phil Ford since you and I are a little bit older than a lot of the folks listening. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think I, I, I would go – my list of five that comes to mind would definitely be Lawson, Ford, Kenny Smith, Joel Berry, and uh, and Ed Cota. I think I'd probably go with those five uh, at the end. There's some other great ones, you know, Phelps and Page that, that you know probably someone else I'm forgetting right now that that, that that were terrific. Well, Felton, yeah. So yeah, yeah, Felton, Felton would be number six. <laughs> I just left off my five. Sorry, Raymond. Um, but you know, and, and all these guys had you know great players and, and great uh competitors, yeah. And one, I'll tell you this since I mentioned Kenny Smith, um, one of my favorite clips, yeah. I encourage people to go watch if you don't remember this game in particular, it was in 1985, you know, which hadn't been a great year, but had been a somewhat better than expected year. Um, and North Carolina had to play the second round game against Notre Dame on Notre Dame's home court because that was still allowed by the NCAA. And they had a, a great point guard named uh, David Rivers, and the score was tied at 58, and they were holding in the last minute, you know, for the uh, the last shot. And this speaks like kind of Coach Gene Smith was, you know, rather than sit back and let Rivers make a play and, you know, hope to, you know, get the rebound, they ran a double team at him with Kenny Smith and Joel Wolf, who was like 6'10". And he wasn't slow, but he wasn't fast either. You know, they ran a double team at him, and Rivers caught the ball up. Curtis Hunter recovers it, throws it to Kenny Smith, who dunks it, you know, to win the game with a couple of seconds left. And yeah, it's tricky. That shows what an aggressive coach, yes, Smith could be, you know, uh, in that scenario. So yeah, and I thought that 85 team, that, yeah, they went a couple of steps further than probably they had a right to. So, you know, that, that's a great, great moment. You know, and then then the Auburn game, the Sweet 16, K. Smith also finished the game, you know, with a dunk. So, so you know, it's really unfortunate he didn't make the Final Four. Uh, but, you know, but it is what it is. You know, and you think about Phil Ford, uh, the 77 team where he, they did make the Final Four. Uh, you know, he got injured, uh, I believe, against Notre Dame, you know, and, and, and was limited. Uh, uh and John Kuster kind of took over for that game against Kentucky, wearing, wearing the four corners and everything. But yeah, you know, but in, in the final four, he was back. Yeah, you know, and, and I think uh, 
he played an amazing game against uh, Las Vegas as DeMichael Corn, And, you know, that was, you know, probably still the greatest team that it went at all was that 77 team. You think about, you know, uh, you know Walter Davis, you know, Corn as, as a freshman, Phil Ford. You had that Tommy Lagarde who was injured but was still part of the team. Accuser. Then you had some of these other freshmen like like Richie Honaker, you know, and and, and Jeff Wolf who 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 were part of that. John Virgil as well. So that 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 was a great team that you know, um, you know, when I was a kid. People were still heartbroken about that about them not winning it. Um, so you know, and you know, Joel Berry always really impressed me just his competitiveness and and the command he had on on the floor. You know, and I, I will say he played a great game in that, in that 2016 game, the Carolina loss, and he had I think 20 points against Villanova as well. You know, and, and came out firing. So I was really happy for him that, that, that he was able to get that championship the next year. You know, certainly, then, it's crazy, man. I can yeah. listen to you talk all day, but you certainly yeah. uh, went a couple of places. I was going to go as we leak towards the end of this podcast we we could literally talk for hours on end and i'm sure folks would listen to every bit of it but best player never to win a national championship for carolina and why well, i do this give me top five best players never to win a national championship well we, we've mentioned uh yeah so yeah let's kind of you know the, the, there's a lot of guys who played for dean smith before 82 who didn't win it so that that's a list like I don't know, 25 guys. Yeah, really. <laughs> Billy Cunningham and Larry Miller, Charles Scott, um, you know, McAdoo, all those guys. Just say so in the more recent area, I think uh, Kenny Smith, you know, the fact he played on two 14 and 0 teams and couldn't get to the Final Four, I would think that he's on the list. I would think certainly uh, Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson, you know, each played in two Final Fours you know, uh, get the opportunity to make the final game. Yeah, I think that they're on that list. You know, I think um, the whole crew with, with uh, 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 Zeller and, and, and Marshall and Harrison Barnes and Bullock, I kind of think of them as a group, you know, and, and I think really that, that injury to Kendall Marshall, uh, you know, cost them because they probably uh, could have won it in 2012, but Kendall Marshall uh, hadn't got hurt, you know. Um, and and then finally, probably Rashid and Jerry Zackhouse. Yeah, you know, I agree with those. Best team not to win. You said 77, so give me top five teams not to win. I, I've got a list. Let's see if they match up. You go ahead. Yeah, I, I, so 84, you know, um, and that, that was, uh, you know, Jordan and Perkins and Matt Dory was a senior and Kenny Smith was a freshman. That was the team that went 14-0. and Had Steve Hale. And there, and unfortunately, we'll never hear the end of it because Dan Dakich like works for ESPN and, and won't <laughs> stop talking. You know, but but the, the, that team got beat by Indiana in the Sweet 16, and um, who in turn lost for Virginia. So I, I think we were heading for another rematch against Georgetown. You know, most likely, you know, in, in the Final Four that that would have been exciting. But that that was a, a great team, and it's, obviously, it's a shame Kansas uh, got injured against LSU. Because they could have been even better if that hadn't happened. So uh, '77, we mentioned. Uh, I would say obviously 1998, you know, uh, Bill Guthridge's first year, that, that disappointing loss to Utah. And you, you know, I, I was friends with him. I think that still bothered him until the very end. That that game, uh, just because we had played such a great season, and for whatever reason, we we're just a little bit off most of that game before trying to rally. 
at the end. You know, Shaman Williams struggled in that game. He he was a you know a really good player for us. He also played in you know in three Final Fours. Yeah, and uh, they just didn't have it that game for a particular reason. But but we probably had the best team that year uh, as well. And I probably go with the '87. You know, um, Kane Smith Senior and JRE was a freshman. Another 14 and 0 team. Uh, Jeff Lebo was, I believe, ill in that game against Syracuse. They got beat by Derek Coleman. So, so that you know, 84, 87, you know, uh, 98 and 77. I'll go those as four. I won't name a fifth right now. Well, but if I had to, it'd probably be 94 because they were good too. Got yeah. In college. I uh, it was. Injuries have derailed many a Carolina national champion. It's uh, and it seems to always happen. I agree. I think '84 might be the best college team ever. Um, yeah, at least best Carolina team ever. People would argue the UNLV team, but I uh, I'd go '84. I'd okay. go '87. I saw yeah. I was there at that game, uh, that that regional. I'll go '95 uh, okay. with that team if Donald hits. Anything or was it Calabria? Whoever couldn't hit anything, they win. Um, and then '98. The reason '98 stung so bad is for Carolina fans. Is a Kentucky was there because yep. I sat I sat in the middle of the Kentucky section, so that was enjoyable to see Utah run out to I believe what was it 2 15-2 lead or something like that. So that yeah. That made that a fun event. Um, so that was tough to see them lose. I think the 12 team, like you mentioned, with Kendall Marshall getting hurt, sort of derailed that one. It's just, you know, people talk about Carolina's got six or seven national championships. They could easily have 11 or 12 if if they could have caught a break. Of course, they caught breaks when they won it. So uh, that's another thing to it. Best Last question for you. And sure. Somebody mentioned it on the thread, so I'll mention it. Best game, top five best games, tournament games you saw in person. Yeah, okay. So, and I know I'm throwing them at you without giving you a heads up at all. So, this yeah, is yeah, so, so, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I say one comes to mind that I was, was probably on the list simply because I was at the game, but I think it was a great game. What was the um, second round game against LSU? In Greensboro in 2009, and you remember there had been all that talk with Ty Lawson, who had been hurt and you had missed uh, ACC tournament, wasn't going to be able to play at all, you know. And Carolina had a, a closely an LSU, you know, they, they were good, um, and then the LSU surged ahead, and Lawson just took over the last 15 minutes of the game. It was a, probably that was the most dominant individual performance I think I've ever seen in person, at least with that much on the line. So, so I think about that game. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, uh, in '98 uh, another one that, that isn't remembered. Another second round game was a game against you know, UNC Charlotte, and, and Charlotte was had a really good team. I actually remember yelling at CM Newton like, "Why did you make them an eight seed?" Because <laughs> he was walking by. And I was sitting in the stands like, "What's up? They're not an eight seed. They're like a five seed." You know, so we had to you know, play them in the second round. Um, and and they they got hot and that game ended up going into overtime and so you know as as devastated as we all still are about losing to Utah imagine if that team had lost that game right so that that was a lot of tension there um, and then uh, the, the game against uh, 
Louisville in, in, in 2008. Uh, I, I was at uh, in Charlotte, where, where again, you know, the Patino team they made a, a, a late challenge. You know, Hansborough sort of took over uh, at the end. But but I'll go in my fourth and fifth was, and this is one of the great experiences I had as a kid. I was, I was fortunate in 1982 to go to um, the games in Raleigh and the Sweet 16 against Alabama and and the uh, the game against Villanova in the regional final. You know, and you look back in the video I and mean, Carolina obviously played really really well in those games, but I just I remember always feeling like we were in control like the Tar Heels were going to win. I never remember feeling scared in either one of those games. But you look back at it, it was like those were close games, so like five points in one case and you know, seven or eight points in the other. But, but as I spoke, there was a different era. Like in those days, a four-point lead meant something completely different, you know, than what in today's game. So that, that's my list for, for those five, the ones I've seen in person. Yeah, you've seen a lot. You've done a lot. Uh, and it's always fun to hear about it, Thad. I appreciate you taking time to join us. Like I mentioned when we started the show, you wrote the book back in 2000, 2001 when there was a struggle. We're doing this when they've been the struggle. You know, do you have any doubt that things turn around whenever they get back on the court? Um, do you have any doubt? Because a lot of Carolina fans have taken a, a lot of this for granted over the years. And I think Roy Williams said it more than once late in the season that Coach Smith always said, you need to have some losing seasons mixed in so people will appreciate all the wins. Do you believe in that philosophy of Coach Smith and your thoughts on Carolina basketball moving beyond 2020? Yeah, well, I remember, I, you know, one of the great things for me just personally about writing that book was I got to interview Dean Smith one-on-one. And, you know, I remember him saying to me, like, you know, people praise us for the graduation rating because we try to do things the right way. And, and you know, you know, some of the values that he stood for off the court. And he said, yeah, the, but we all know, you know, and I know by coming there with a couple of straight losing seasons, there's going to be an issue. And so he said, he said, and he said to me, it's still very important that we keep scoring like direct quote, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, he understood, I think, I think Bill got there at you, you know, just as competitive Smith was, they understood that as well. And, and that was kind of like the, uh, you know, the magic and the miracle of it is, is that they're under a lot of pressure and uh, to outsiders. So there was one book that I, never, I like, I like most books about Carolina basketball, but there was a book I didn't really like called the Carolina corporation, which made it seem like Carolina was like general motors, just like guaranteed success, you know, and it's, it could have that impression, but it was never really the case. It's always fragile. It's you're always talking about like young men, and even if they're NBA quality, they're not they're not in the NBA yet, and, and they have emotions, and they're, they're going to make mistakes, and, and there's unpredictability involved. You know, so to be that consistent year after year after year, you know, requires so much work to do, and especially in today's environment with the um, you know, the, the more frequent turnover of, of players, you know, it is a lot more fragile. So it's an even harder job to get that consistent year by year success. But what I would say is we have to accept, you know, that year by year, every single year, a Tariel team will be in the Sweet 16. That may not be as realistic, but I still think it's going to be a program that, you know, in the 2020s now, this team or the school will be in the Final Four at some point in this decade and probably a couple of times and probably win a championship, um, you know, and 
I don't think Roy Williams is going anywhere until he knows it's back at that level. So, yeah, and even, you know, without recounting this last season, this last season was like a weird in so many ways. You think about the ways games were lost and how many different injuries they had. You know, if they had a full deck of the players who were on scholarship healthy for most of the season, it would have been a winning season. You know, but a lot of things conspired. It wasn't the case this year. But, but you know, I, I, think, you know, I think they played hard. Uh, as hard as they could and, until the end. Um, and I think they stuck together towards the end. And so that, that speaks well for the future. Indeed it does. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I've been joined by the legendary Thad Williamson. If you haven't read more than the game, you need to go find a copy and read it. It's worth it, especially if you've got nothing to do as you sit and wait uh, for tough times to pass. Check out that, game, that book. Thad, always a pleasure. Thank you, Tommy. I appreciate the chance to talk about this stuff because, you know, I love it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.